Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Woodrow. I'm Sally Gentry. And we want to know, do you know of someone impacted by breast cancer? Because this episode is for you. Yeah, we're going to talk about advancements in breast reconstruction Mm post-mastectomy and how tissue donation really plays a big role. Some neat things coming out. And we're also going to have a group discussion about why people take their names off the donor registry. Oh, group discussion. Yes. Okay, I like that. That's interesting because we've been having lots of talks about that in the community. So good topic. Hopefully um, you will join us in that. And we certainly appreciate you listening to The Gifted Life. Our goal is to make life happen. You're part of our team. But we need people learning this information and spreading the word. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. And now on Spotify. Ooh, you were excited, Sally, about That's that right. one. I'm glad. I like it. And as always, you can find us also on our website, thegiftedlife.org. And social media. It's a big thing in a lot of our lives on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Um, have some special guests coming up to talk about um, latest and advancements and reconstruction for breast cancer. You guys ready to get to that? We have lots of questions, right? All right, let's do it. Here on The Gifted Life, we are excited um, about this segment coming up because there's new information that's coming out. We always talk about people making a difference, and you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. We talk about that in a lot of our presentations across the, the state Um, Well, these two guys are helping to really make a difference when it comes to breast cancer recovery. Um, So, Joey, want to introduce? Yeah. So, uh, of course, we talk about, you know, a lot of guys that we talk to with big brains, and these are certainly (laughs) two of the big brains that we... uh, that uh, we'll be talking to today. Uh, we've got Nick Pashos. And am I saying that right, Nick? Yes, sir. And he heard you. That's good. He's That's Cajun perfect. country. Joe, That's he's from the, Cajun people country. People don't understand me often. <laughs> so he's the founder and, and CEO and the inventor of uh, Bioaesthetics. And along with Nick, uh, we've got Billy Heim, who's uh, chief operating officer. And so, uh, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about Bioaesthetics and how you guys got started? Yeah, definitely. So, Bioaesthetics is focusing on transforming the lives of breast cancer patients through regenerative medicine. And our first product is a nipple graft. And we provide a acellular nipple and areolar graft uh, for mastectomy patients to be sutured onto their chest and allow their own cells to grow into it and to essentially regrow a new nipple and areolar complex after mastectomy. And thank goodness you have the knowledge to be able to even think about that. Um, but tell us how this got started? Like, why would you go into this field and this path? Yeah. So both Billy and my background in biomedical engineering. And previously, I was working on uh, spinal cord injury repair and then worked on Huntington's disease for a little while. And then I went on to do my PhD at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, both at the medical school and at the primate center uh, to regrow lungs outside of the human body as an alternative to transplants. Um, And what we were doing was we were taking organs that couldn't be transplanted, uh, taking them in-house and removing all the cells and DNA. And what we were left with was this protein scaffold and the same shape and size 
as the donor lung. And the idea was to then take patient cells, combine it with that uh, lung scaffolding that we just derived, and grow it inside of the bioreactor outside the human body and use it as on our terms of transplants. Um, so I was working on that for a year and a half, trying to regrow the blood vessels inside of those lungs. And then one night I was watching a Netflix documentary on one of those sleepless nights that we all have. <laughs> and uh, in it, they were talking about mastectomies and not having nipple and areolas after, after breast reconstruction. And I just couldn't believe it. And so I stayed up all night reading about reconstruction options for breast cancer. And I even had to start to what was a mastectomy, you know, I, I didn't know anyone that had breast cancer at the time. Thankfully, nobody in my family had breast cancer. So mastectomy to me was just removal of cancer from breast tissue, but it's actually much more than that. It's removing sometimes partial or all of the breast, including the nipple and areola. And it's an extremely extensive surgery. Um, you know, in the recovery period, is very long and very intense for these breast cancer survivors. You know, reading about it and watching this documentary, uh, I realized there was a need for to regrow the nipple and areola. So I thought we could take the same methods that we were using with the lung mm -hmm. and transfer it over to nipple and areolas. Uh, so I switched my PhD project a year and a half into it and then spent the next uh, three and a half years working on this product and wow. spun out the company. And then Billy and I got hooked up together as business partners and we've just taken off from there. So from there, of course, you guys have to have you know partners uh, in the donation field. And uh, and I first found out about you guys in uh, uh, in sometime around the summer of 2017 when uh, Tina Madere, who's who is our research manager, came to our team and said, "Look, you know this is what these guys are doing. You know, basically." taking a uh, nipple areola complex and, and decellularizing them, turning them into scaffolding for patients who have had mastectomies so that they can then have their own tissue kind of grow in between and above and around uh, so that they can have that, you know, that, that kind of sense of, of pride back when they've, in, you know, instead of having to tattoo and things. And for us, almost everyone in the room has had someone that they've contacted or been into contact with some, you know, with, with cancer. And, and many of them have had, you know, people with breast cancer. So it was an obvious, you know, yeah, of course we're going to partner up with you guys. And that's been a great partnership since then. So can you tell us a little bit more first about the decellularization process and how you really don't need any rejection medicines and things? Yeah. So the decellularization process, what we do is, you know, we work with organizations like you guys and thankfully for, uh, donor families as well uh, to supply the raw materials of a donor nipple and areola complex. Uh, so the so that in, in, encompasses the nipple and the surrounding tissue of the areola or the round portion. Uh, we take it in house and we wash it over the course of uh, several days with different salts and detergents, uh, much like a washing machine. And through that process, we can remove all the cells and the cellular contents in the DNA. Uh, and what's left over is a nipple and areola scaffold in the exact same shape and size as that donor nipple without any DNA and without any cells. So it's known, it's non-living anymore, but it has human-derived proteins inside of it. And it's these human-derived proteins that would allow us to engraft it onto a person and their own cells take it over and use it as a building block to regrow a new nipple and areola, incorporating that scaffold into their body without eliciting an immune response, uh, allowing it to be a safe graft. 
So this is a safe graft for a lifetime as opposed to someone who's gotten an organ transplant uh, that's cellularized that, you know, you need to be on immunosuppressants and things like that, right? Exactly. So no immunosuppressants. Um, and it, it integrates into the person's body. Their own cells grow into it, and it becomes part of their body. Uh, so it's their blood vessels that grow into it, their skin that grows into it, um, and it's a permanent living structure. I'd be good to give a little color on the cause of rejection. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so one of the major causes of rejection is actually the proteins outside of the cell themselves. So, you know, when you put an organ into somebody else's body and an organ donor to recipient, you know, those cells on that organ are not native to the recipient at all. And so they have distinct proteins on the outside that the body sees, the recipient body sees as a foreign body. Um, and that's why you have to take immunosuppressants. Inside of desirization of removing those cells, we remove those cells, we remove the proteins, and we also remove the DNA. And free-floating DNA around can also elicit immune response as well. So removing those components, uh, it leaves for a very nice and uh, safe biocompatibility uh, to allow this product to go onto it uh, without having immunosuppressants. And there are there is published, I guess, literature related to um, desolarization and you know kind of the 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 values of you know DNA uh, quantity as well as size that elicits the immune response in the body. And all the studies we've performed um, show that we're about tenfold below what the commercial uh, the current commercially uh, available desolarized you know, skin products are. So we're you know extremely confident that we, you know, there'll be no rejection issues and no immunosuppressants and um, very safe products for patients. And building off of what Billy said as well, and products like these have been used on the market for, you know, probably over 30 years. And in fact, 56% of all breast reconstructions right now utilize human-derived DSRI skin um, as extra support underneath the recipient's skin to hold up the implant. Um, so plastic surgeons are very familiar with it. Most w women who have undergone reconstructions with implants actually u already utilize materials like these uh, that have been processed very similarly without having without having immunosuppressants or immunorejection from it. As you just mentioned, uh, women are usually uh, who we think of when this sort of surgery takes place. Does this also apply to men who have had breast cancer? Absolutely. Um, you know, there are a much smaller population of men who actually have breast cancer and the mastectomy, but almost all men who have breast cancer and have a mastectomy actually have their nipple and areola removed as well. Um, so, you know, the major population of people that this product will be able to help are female uh, that have had mastectomies due to breast cancer. Then it's actually male breast cancer survivors. And then it would be, you know, people who have to have a mastectomy for other reasons you know, either a transition or accidents or something. Um, and then also pediatric usage uh, that we'd also like to help out as well. Um, there's a syndrome called Poland syndrome where, uh, you know, babies are born with underdeveloped chest muscles and um, a lot of times also missing the nipple and areola. And they reconstruct their nipples just like they would um, mastectomy patients and breast cancer survivors. So this product can also be used for them as well. So it looks like you've done your, your research, you've been in, in the lab, and we've been doing the, uh, the research portion. What's 
next? So, um, so through Nick's PhD, we went through um, in vitro uh, studies, and then he also went into an in vivo mouse model, you know, where we saw very nice biocompatibility. Um, then we've gone into a large animal, a non-human primate model, and we've completed our fourth animal um, back in December. And all the data looks very, you know, nice um, from all of that. We see, you know, we're looking at the blood work to make sure their immune response is good. All the animals are healthy. There's no rejection issues. All their blood values are kind of within their baseline range. Um, and then we're also seeing, you know, the majority of the graphs you know, are surviving the animal. Um, you know, it is an animal model, so there are some limitations in terms of uh, being able to control the clinical care. But um, but overall, all the data is very positive. And so therefore, our next steps are really, you know, directed straight towards the clinic. Um, so right now, we have to meet um, general, you know, FDA requirements as a tissue processor um, through the HCTP regulations. So right now, our goal is we have to, we're building out a processing room where we can actually process, process the tissues, make the product, package it. Um, and then you know, implement our quality system to make sure we're tracking all the products from donor to recipients and through the processing um, to ensure you know ensure we have a quality product. And then next would be we go we register um, with the FDA and then begin to market uh, the product. And we are planning to conduct a small 15 patient clinical study. Um, it would be a post marketing study to um, gather data one you know, for broader adoption so that we can publish in journals um, with some of our early adopter doctors, um, and then also begin collecting data to apply for a reimbursement code specifically for this product. Well, I just wanted to ask, what type of psychological benefits do you anticipate finding from, and that might not be, maybe I'm underestimating what's going to happen here, but I would think it would be a very, very beneficial. Yeah. So there are actually a lot of studies on that. And, you know, being uh, Billy and I being two men who, you know, do not have breast cancer and haven't had a reconstruction, you know, uh, we rely on those studies and we rely on patient feedback as well. You know, one of the biggest things that we did uh, when we started this company was go out and talk to patients and listen to what they wanted, right? And to to listen to the impact that it may have. Uh, We talked to, you know, healthcare professionals. Um, psychological healthcare professionals, psychiatrists, and psychologists mm-hmm. who deal with breast cancer survivors, and also plastic and reconstructive surgeons. And studies have shown that a woman is actually more likely to undergo a life-saving mastectomy if she can have a nipple reconstruction immediately thereafter. Mm. And that a nipple reconstruction actually can increase self-esteem, body image, and decrease the feeling of distress a woman may have during her recovery period of the mastectomy. So Billy and I's take on it is, you know, if somebody wants to be reconstructed and they want to have a, a you know, biostatics graft, fantastic. We're there to help them. And if a reconstruction, um, if that be a tattoo or surgical reconstruction right now, um, a woman is more likely to undergo, undergo a life-saving mastectomy if they can have that afterwards. You know, how much more likely are they to have a mastectomy if they can have a completely regrown oh, nipple and areola complex? Yeah. And to us, that's the most important part, right? Mm-hmm. We want to help people out. Our company's name is Bioaesthetics, but it's actually goes much deeper to that on the individual level. And that's where our company is focused. Um, not the life-saving solutions, but the life-enhancing solutions. That's great. Now, we all have a, a mutual friend whose uh, mom was recently diagnosed, had to have 
chemo surgery, expanders put in, had some trouble um, with that. There was an infection. Um, so do you think what um, you guys are developing would, would change the way um, that that kind of rolls out the pike when it comes to a diagnosis and, and recovery? Yeah, so that's one thing that, um, you know, we, we I'm a PhD, Billy's biomedical engineer, um, and we are not going to be the ones engrafting it. We are working with doctors the medical professionals on the reconstruction side of it. Um, so we won't be changing the prognosis or how they deal with, uh, you know, breast cancer in general. Uh, what we will be working with is the breast, the plastic and reconstructive surgeon for specifically breast reconstruction at the later stage of it. So after they undergo the tissue expanders, uh, and some patients have more trouble with it than others, sometimes reconstruction is one surgery, and sometimes it's seven to ten surgeries. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nipple and areola is always the last piece of that reconstruction process so that it's always in the correct place. Um, you never want to put the nipple on first because then if you have to have any modifications, um, you know, it could change the malposition. Um, and that's where we're focusing on it. Uh, and we will be able to change the standard of care for nipple reconstruction mm-hmm. uh, so that everyone can have a fully regrown nipple and areola complex uh, and you know, not go to the alternatives uh, of a tattoo, um, which can fade over time, or a prosthetic, a rubber nipple and arrow complex that somebody takes on and off at nighttime with adhesive. Um, and then you can also have currently a, a surgically reconstructed nipple of pre-existing skin from either the thigh or the arm or the breast tissue. Um, from what we hear from patients and in literature and from doctors as well, is that those actually fail over time. They tend to lose shape and size, about 96% of it, within about two years. Um, so we're really focusing on that last stage uh, and transforming that to have bioaesthetics be, you know, the standard of care for nipple reconstruction specifically. Did that answer your question? Yes. Uh, so any timeline? I know you said this is what's coming up. This is what's coming up. Do you, do you have like a you know, spring of 2020, yeah. like, do we, yeah, do we so, have? Um, so, I mean, our, our, our goal that we're moving, uh, pushing forward towards um, right now, and, you know, this is all contingent upon, we're also, you know, raising money right now to continue funding um, development of our work. Um, but, you know, pending getting that money in, you know, our goal is to be on a pay on our first patient by the end of this year. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, that would likely be in the form of a clinical study um, that we are intending right now to, you know, we're conducting potentially two lane, but, you know, then we could also potentially be marketing the product as well to other surgeons, as well as conducting that clinical study. Wow. Changing the future. I like it, man. We learned a lot. Obviously we had lots of questions, um, just because it is a topic that's um, close to our hearts. So we appreciate you guys letting us pick your brains there, Nick and Billy. Um, so if people want more information, I know that's what kind of we do. We, we turn to social media. Um, so if folks want more information, they want to learn more from you guys, where can they do that? Yep. So they can go uh, for, you know, to our website, www.bio-aesthetics.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page, LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter. Um, Twitter is bio underscore aesthetics. Um, in addition, um, you know, they can reach out via email to info, I-N-F-O, at bio, B-I-O, dash, aesthetics, A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C-S dot com um, if they have, you know, further questions. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, in watching what you guys have to offer. Um, so we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for what you do. Um, and thanks for um, kind of pushing that glass ceiling. We like that. 
Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you very thank much you. for what you're doing as well, and thanks yeah, for having and, us. Yeah, and thanks to Lopa for being such a great partner and helping us, uh, you know, work on this product and you know eventually get it to the patients. So thank you for that. All right, thanks. making a difference, team effort. On the gifted life, it's group discussion time. Are you excited, yes, Joe? Everybody, <laughs> please part. And we want to hear from you too. If you're listening, have something to, to chime in, please do. Uh, but Sally, you're kind of leading the way. What's on your mind? Well, you know, recently we've been talking about the number of people who are taking their names off the donor registry or removing the heart from the driver's license. And I thought maybe we could just talk about. You know, maybe some of the, the rationale that, that people give for doing so that maybe is not real accurate or factual information. So you're hearing this out in the community, Lori. What, what's, what's the reasons that people are, are given that you hear? Well, just in the studio on uh, one of the last uh, podcasts that we did, recipient mom Brittany Elliser was in here and she said, I am so embarrassed to admit that I had the heart on my license and then I took it off because I was pregnant and believed the myths and thought I need to be here for my children. And then when she was in that world and they were telling Mm -hmm. her my son needs a transplant, she ran back to put that heart on there. So I think some people are scared to talk about death. I think um, think maybe a lot of people are scared to talk about death. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, there's just a lot of violence in the headlines. So um, some folks are just worried. Um, not a lot of trust in the medical field, some of them, um, uh-huh. when they come to the table and, and tell us that. Um, just a lot of different reasoning. But I think um, when we sit down and we talk facts or they talk to someone who's been impacted, that seems to, to make a difference. Kind of, we just got to reach those well, people. You know, I, I've heard several of our family advocates say that people have told them, well, my religion doesn't believe mm-hmm. this. But, you know, we know that, that there's, what, only one, and that's the gypsies, that do not believe in organ donation. All the rest are pro-giving life when, you know, your loved one cannot. Yeah, but listen, I was in a classroom setting, and um, so gypsies and Shinto Indians are the two groups that, um, you know, we know that don't support donation. But there was this child, beautiful, and she said, I'm a gypsy, which intrigued me because I had never met. I just saw on, on TV, they had a, a show not too long ago about um, Gypsy Life. And, um, and I said, what do you guys think about donation? This is interesting. Like, teach me. And she said, oh, she goes, my papa needed a kidney. And I said, okay, so how do we deal with that? And she goes, well, we wanted to save his life. And she said, so we did what, you know, we had to do, went through all the steps and she goes, we are pro-donation. So I think it oh, depends on your yeah. seat at the table, if you've been impacted. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting to, to hear, um, you know, different people's walks of life, I guess. So maybe it boils down to people really just being afraid and they don't have good information or they listen to someone down the line saying, oh, you're not going to believe what they did to my loved one. And whether that's true or not, because, you know, we, Joey, you know, in the midst of all the grief and, and trauma and everything that happens, many times what you thought you had heard is not what you heard at all. It was all because of you were so confused. And right. Just uh, scared. It, it, so often what, what we hear from families and, you know, you know, is that they can hear and, and, and understand maybe 20, 30, 40 percent of all the information that they're given. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you just able to, to comprehend, especially in mm-hmm. that 
acute stage of grief, that severe stage of grief that you're in, you know, it's, it's difficult to understand everything that's been thrown at you, especially when it comes to donation and what about my loved one, how does that mm-hmm. impact us? And so that is, that's one of the challenges is, is being able to, to understand everything. And you touched on a little bit earlier with the family advocates. You know, we have a lot of conversations about, you know, how we can support families better. And it is quite often the myth about the lack of fairness or, uh, or not sure maybe if you're rich, you get a lot more access. And, you know, people hear about yes. certain, yeah, certain, certain, uh, you know, CEOs and things who've gotten, uh, you know, transplants. And, of course, that resonates more. You know, and and we make sure that they understand, you know, the the truth, you know, which is that that this is it. Just because you're you're rich or famous, you don't automatically get bumped up. You know, this is a very anonymous list, and, and that's and, why I love our volunteers, real life yeah. testimonies, their right. walk of life. Um, also one of our um biggest myths that we battle each and every day is if I have that heart on my license, they won't work as hard to try to save me, right? And so uh, we work with um, college students um, in the state, and so they hear that myth too. Um, so on our staff at LOPA, we have some paramedics, um, and we have folks who have that type of background, and so they are starting to utilize them in some of their outreach, like well, talk great. to them and say, hey, what's step one, step two? Um, you know, we don't go and look for your license like we're trying to save your yeah. life. And so that seems to be working. So um, spreading the facts. And we hope that you use this podcast to do, you know, just that. Yeah. And you know what I'm hoping, too, is that I- I'm sure that most of the people who listen to us are pro donation. They may not be. I don't know that for sure. But I, what I would suggest is if any of you who are listening that you're hearing people say, oh, just what we've discussed here have them check out, you know, our website or have them give us a call or talk with someone that's received a transplant to know how beneficial and helpful, you know, just saying yes when when you're just not able to be helped can help save someone else's life. Yeah, and we love when people call us and say, hey, we're at a school, we heard this, we'd like you to come in and do some education. We love that. So reach out to the OPO, Oregon Procurement Organization, on where you are, or maybe you have a specific uh, topic that you want us to discuss here, info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. On every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Matthew Edward Hull. And we hear from Matthew's mother. Nothing hurts the heart of a mother more than when her children lose their brother. Nothing heals the heart of a mother more than her son giving life to another. Matthew was hardworking, caring, fun-loving, and one of the smartest people I've ever known. He was the most caring son a mother could hope for, with a bright smile and a tight hug that warmed your heart. He is loved and will always be greatly missed by his mother, brothers, sisters, son, cousins, and countless friends. At this time, we pause and say thank you to Matthew for the gift of life. Today's question and answer segment, my doctor told me I was going to have to have an allograft as part of my reconstruction. Is that donor tissue? Joe? Well, the quick answer is yes, yes. Lori. Okay. Uh, yes, oftentimes, uh, especially during orthopedic uh, procedures, 
uh, the surgeon might mention something like allograft or might mention donor tissue and, and oftentimes won't really go any further mm-hmm. in that discussion because there's a lot of things that they're trying to capture uh, about the surgery that are, you know, of course, you've got to talk about all the potential pitfalls that are there. So, uh, so that kind of gets glossed over sometimes, mm-hmm. but it, it is important, in my opinion, to, to recognize that, that that is, you know, a donor hero, right. a tissue donor, who, uh, because they said yes, or their family said yes, you now have that second chance at performing whatever tasks mm-hmm. that the surgery is going to enable you to perform, uh, to go ahead and perform it. It's only with that yes that that's taking place. Simply amazing. So we'd like to hear from you. If you should have a question about this or anything we've discussed here on the podcast, reach out to us. Uh, Your story can inspire others to give the gift of life, and you can find us on social media, email, or you know what? You can give us a call, and that number is 504-648-3477. We look forward to hearing from you. That'll do it for episode 104 of The Gifted Life, Power Packed. Yes, it was. Special thanks go out to Nick and Billy for all the work that they're doing at Bioaesthetics and the advancements in reconstruction for those who are post-mastectomy. And wow, first patient later on this year who's going to be involved in clinical trials. That's amazing. We hope this has inspired you to say yes to donation, put that heart on your driver's license, or go to registerme.org. We appreciate you listening, everyone out there, and we hope that you go out and do something that you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're a team, and we'll talk to you next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, Arlopa. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>